Select your program. Dialogue. Program initiated. Approach the threshold. Engage rationality. Open your mind. Godspeed. everybody welcome to another episode of flagship freedom today we have a very special guest the philosopher again she is joining us to talk about communism particularly anarcho-communism and this is a topic that both of us uh, I think have a great deal of interest towards I noticed that she had been posting a lot in these debate groups the ANCAP versus ANCOM debate group on Facebook uh, with some very uh, pointed questions, uh, all very good. I, and I had I have been doing the same for at least a year now, really trying to get at the heart of the matter. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but if if I discover that my philosophy is not like completely airtight, then I can't even sleep at night. So I'm, these are honest questions. I'm trying to engage other people who are very passionate. But I think you and I have uh, recently sort of come to a bit of a conclusion, and that being that. The ideas have, uh, well, they're about as as solid as Swiss cheese. That, that's my conclusion, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to bring you on, somebody who clearly shares a lot of interest in the topic, and talk about a few of the main core philosophical questions and discuss our findings within that community. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, without further ado, then let's just jump right into it. So... I think the the central tenet or criticism of uh, anarcho-communists is that they claim that capitalism is uh, inherently hierarchical and exploitative uh, and not truly voluntary. Like we call ourselves voluntarists because we believe all human interaction should be voluntary, but the communists claim, uh, well, you know, it, it, let's let's break it down one by one into some discrete topics. So. The first one, the first question is, is, capi oops, is capitalism truly voluntary? Are you forced to participate? And I'm just going to throw these questions at you first, and then we can do okay. a little back and forth. Sounds good. So um, my thought is that uh, capitalism is not inherently um, involuntary. You choose to participate. You choose to work for somebody. Uh, you choose to start a business, it's uh, completely voluntary. And um, if and we're just talking about like free market, you know, no government interference capitalism. Um, so yeah. And and I agree that's true, but but then as we get down into the weeds, you often hear from the communists that, well, if my choices are work or die uh, that doesn't seem like a very fair, it's not a truly voluntary interaction if they feel like they're being coerced yeah, because it's not that. It's not like a true choice, like because um, otherwise they'll starve or they, they need food and shelter, et cetera. So what is your response to that criticism? Well, I would say that's interesting because surviving and trying to live is a fact of life. Humans have to find nourishment or else you will die. That is not a... Um, tenant of capitalism that is like a tenant of of life of being an organism from worms to birds to you know gorillas to humans like uh we need a form of nourishment and our particular bodies you know have had different kinds of nourishment so i would say back to them that um you are mistaken that this has to do with capitalism and i would then also ask that um, ask him if working is not also required of you in a in a communist society in a commune. Um, you know what happens if you know you guys are running out of food? Maybe let's say hypothetically in a commune. I bet that a group of people would want somebody to work and say, "Hey guys, we need to work. We're we're running low on food. Uh, we literally don't have enough food for everybody. That's going to last for the past week." You know hypothetically uh, speaking, then 
you would in that situation feel forced to work because you're gonna die and <laughs> others are gonna die too if you don't pick up a plow or whatever and farm or a hammer you know, and sickle. whatever. <laughs> and oddly enough yeah. that seems to happen quite a lot in uh, communist experiments. Oh wait, those aren't real communism, never mind. But I agree. This is a condition <laughs> imposed <laughs> it's condition imposed by nature. You can't blame a capitalist because uh, because you need to eat, uh, et cetera. Now, right. here is where we go down the rabbit hole a little bit deeper. And it's a legitimate question to ask is, well, what if, that, that would make sense if there's plenty of land and I can just go out and live in the woods and be in my commune mm -hmm. and basically live as if capitalism didn't exist. And we can do our mm -hmm. own thing and you do your own thing. But then, and this, this was a question that was actually legitimately challenging for me for a while. I think I've come to a uh, a reasonable conclusion and a rebuttal, but the the criticism is, well, what if all land is used? What if all land is privately owned? Then I can't go off and do my own thing. I, I have to obey the property rights of capitalists, and they would consider uh, land ownership to be a, a positive right as opposed to a negative right. Now, I know that not mm -hmm. all land is privatized right now, and I, I don't think we'll ever get uh, to that point. I mean, for every human on earth right now, if you're to distribute land, there's about 33 acres. And that's, I mean, that's not even considering that most people prefer to live in cities on, you know, mm -hmm. a few thousand square feet or less. But mm -hmm. what if we happen to get to the point somewhere in the future where all land were privatized, then you didn't really have anywhere to go, so to speak. So you couldn't escape the system. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do so, you have any thoughts about that? Are they, um, well, first, I uh, I think we should define what positive and negative rights are. Would you mind just, I like defining terms for anyone who might be sure. listening that might not know My what that is. My understanding is that negative rights are basically, it's the idea that uh, you're not asking anything of anybody else other than to leave you alone. In other words, mm. by people not doing anything, they aren't in the wrong, which I think makes sense. You can't be wrong simply by standing by and doing nothing. Like evil would be a positive action. So for example, mm -hmm. property rights enforcement, um, mm -hmm. like if I say this is mine and all I ask is that you don't take it from me, uh, that would be considered a negative right. So, or life, the right to life is oh, okay. don't kill me. Uh, and that's uh, not really asking anything of anybody. Uh, liberty, again, that's the ability to do whatever the hell you want without being interfered upon. As long as you aren't interfering mm -hmm. with others. Now, a positive right would be like, oh, the right to health care, because that right. requires a Someone doctor. else has to provide it for you, or a doctor has to give you that care. Right, and so... They don't have a choice, necessarily. Yeah, and now... So, okay, the, the I've, I've heard those terms, so it's nice to... Okay. Not just for the audience, but for me, too. <laughs> so, but, the, the yeah. communist argument is that that land is a positive right because you are excluding other people from entering land, whereas without you, this land, they'd be free to roam about and do their own thing. So you are essentially, they say property is theft. And I don't agree with that, but let's hear your thoughts on the matter. Yeah, so um, so we've been in this group, this debate group for like four months now. And you know we've asked questions, been debating with people, we as in you and I, um, and I've actually haven't seen a consensus for this um, in terms of property being theft because the main thing that I've seen is they make this distinction between personal property and a, a, a private means of production property. Um, and I think they made that distinction after being um, pushed by other people saying, hey, I don't want you to use my toothbrush or <laughs> I want to have a home exclusive to me and my three kids or whatever. Um, so I don't really want to be in a commune. So I think that at that point, some people are like, oh, shoot, we got to have some sort of property. Yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's personal property that yeah. like, your car, your house, your toothbrush, as you said, the your computer. Your... Right. Like, exactly. I don't think <laughs> even a communist, I mean, maybe the most extreme. I know a lot of them believe in this sort of gift economy or uh -huh. they believe in occupancy and use where you just go in and use something and that is all that is required for you to call it yours. I mean, th that's absurd, right? I, I, I don't know how to... To me, that's self-evident. Like somebody else's bicycle, their fridge, like, come on, these people mm -hmm. built it or they traded for it. They have a higher right. claim to it than you. I mean, I don't think that needs a whole lot of debunking. That's just kind of common sense. Yeah, well... 
um, you reach an issue when you don't have um, clear rules for determining who owns what and who has the exclusive right to own something. Um, because let's say, you know, uh, there's a car and both people, let's say, and we're in a commune, there's a car and there's only one car for some reason. I know this is hypothetical. There might not even be a car. Yeah. So two people, you know, Joe wants to use the car, but I do too. And I want to go somewhere. I want to, I want to go to Ancapstan and get some, you know, trade and get some cell phones. <laughs> so I'm in the commune, so I need some. Anyway, so, but then, you know, Joe wants something else. He wants to go to the forest and gather some whatever. So how do we determine who gets to use it? Well, you know, a communist might say, well, that's easy. If you're not children, you could just, you know, trade or, or like come to a, a decision that, okay, maybe you'll use it for an hour and then I'll come back and use it later. But um, you could do it that way. But um, I think that, you know, it, it becomes an issue when you actually, you know, want to go somewhere. And if things are scarce, like you want to be able to um, have the freedom to go somewhere, but, uh, you know, you might get disputes when you don't have clear ownership of something. Mm -hmm. So I think they've run into that problem, too, because um, another issue could be like, let's say you have an apple and if you're in a commune, apparently it's owned by everybody and, you know, to each their own, I guess. But um, what if you want to store that apple? What if you eat half of the apple and you just want to store it and, you know, have it for another day? Um, well, if you don't have clear, you know, lines of ownership, someone else could just take it from you, that, you know, half-eaten apple, and say, like, you know, you're not using it anymore, so I'm free to just take it. But that opens up the issue where someone may have wanted to save it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. <laughs> so, so clearly, there's a practical need to uh, to determine who is. No, you know, let me take a step back. There is the conflict resolution from a practical standpoint, but I, I don't, I don't want to get too distracted. And the reason I say that is because I'm mm-hmm. interested in who has the actual higher claim. Like, you could institute some type of central planner that says, okay, you get the car for one hour a week, and Theoretically, yeah. that could work, but I'm not interested in in different you know schemes. I'm interested in what's actual, actually morally legitimate and sort of makes sense. So, mm-hmm. you and I agree that that personal property uh, clearly makes sense. I mean, it, it's hard to dispute the legitimacy of. Uh, I mean, for me, there's no distinction between personal and private property. To me, property is property. You build a house, you build a factory, you. Uh, create a field to plow crops on, whatever mm-hmm. it is, it is property, and as such, you have a higher claim than the random passerby. Uh, now, right. you, you mentioned this this distinction between personal and private property, and this is where things get really blurry with the communists, because all of a sudden, they, they feel that, that they no longer have to respect property once it, they deem it private property, when it becomes a means mm-hmm. of production. Right. And this is where it just goes off yeah. the rails. I, I can't follow the logic. Right, yeah, I... I might have gotten <laughs> lost in the weeds there with those examples, <laughs> so my apologies. Oh, that's okay. um, <laughs> but uh, I think that I definitely don't have a distinction. I see personal and private property as the same, and uh, anarcho-capitalists and any capitalists see that uh, they're not being a distinction either. Let um, me interrupt you real quick, because I've been accused of knowing exactly what the distinction is. Like, we, we know where they draw the line. They say, oh, as soon as you use it as a means of production. What you really mean when you say there's no distinction is there's no distinction which invalidates the property as a legitimate form of property. In other words, just because you use a lawnmower to mow your neighbor's grass for $20 versus mowing your own grass, it does not change the legitimacy of that as your object, right? It may be right. another use, but it doesn't really matter, right? That, that's yeah. what we're saying when we say it's a uh, meaningless distinction. Yeah, I well, um, I think that when it comes to uh, property norms and rules for acquiring property, I think that it's not a matter of morality. Um, at least for me, we can you know debate that. Um, 
I think it's subjective how you determine, you know, uh, who owns what, like the specific rules for it um, is decided upon voluntarily. Um, and the rules for acquiring property that have been dominant uh, for most societies, uh, at least in America, has been the two um, uh, Lockean property norms. So uh, the two rules are, one, either you homestead, unclaimed, or abandoned land, or two, you trade with somebody else who did that um, voluntarily, and you trade them some value and you get that piece of land. So those are the two ways. Um, and what I've noticed when debating with ANCOMs and reading their frequently asked question link that they like to, that some of them like to post, um, is that there is personal property, which the rules for acquisition of personal property in a communist society is the exact same as the rules of acquisition for a, uh, for, you know, property in an anarcho-capitalist society. They're the exact same. Both of them say that you can acquire personal property by um, taking something that has been unclaimed or abandoned or through trade. <laughs> and so they both recognize that. And um, I don't know if you've heard, but I've had many anarcho-communists say that trade, they welcome it. Even though they don't want money, and it's a currency-less society, and we can get to currency and money later, um, they're okay with trade. Uh, they only make this exception when it comes to property rights, uh, when they determine something to be a means of production, as you said. And that's yet a whole other conversation that you and I have tried to get clear lines of distinction of what a means of production versus personal property is. But that is the, the main difference I see, that both capitalists and communists have rules of property acquisition and they're actually the same when it comes to communist personal property and just, you know, fucking property <laughs> in a capitalist society. It's the exact same. But then the communists make an exception that the capitalists don't have. We don't make an exception for theft. We don't say, okay, uh, after we determine that this property is a means of production or whatever, that justifies the use of force and the violent seizing of your property. We don't, you know, capitalists don't have that exception. We just have those two rules of property acquisition and that's it. Whereas the communists, they have those as well, but they add another, they add an exception. They say, well, it, you know, I'm gonna seize your means of production, I'm literally gonna violently take from you your factory or whatever it is, your computer, you know, whatever, um, because it is exploitative and when you ask them what a means of production is, it's very unclear, the distinction. Um, and so that's where I see uh, and take issue, is they make an exception for theft. And that's really what it is when it comes to declaring something as a means of production. So, And that nicely leads into the topic of wage labor, which I want to get into in a little bit. But two things real quick. Um, I wonder if we diverge here or not in terms of determining land ownership legitimacy because I believe you can't just go off, let's say you discover a massive unclaimed land. Uh, you can't mm -hmm. just go off and say, this is mine. Or better yet, I can't point to the moon and say nobody's allowed to go there. I think mm -hmm. people would consider that a form of aggression. So you do have to right. actually do something uh, to make that land yours. And that's I, the homesteading. Right, yeah, principle. that's and yeah. and it's more than just, you know, even if you fence off, like if I fence off like a hundred square miles just to say it's mine, I still don't think that's quite legitimate. Like you have to actually uh, plow the land, build a structure or something uh, mm -hmm. beyond basically the what becomes obvious is when the land is utterly untamed and wild, then you know mm -hmm. it's kind of self-evident that nobody's done anything to it. And therefore, mm -hmm. you can't, because property stems from self-ownership, and th this is something we should have explained, because we own mm -hmm. ourselves, we own the effects of our actions. When you pour your actions into something, like when I take a stick and I carve it into a spear, or when I take logs and transform them into a house, my actions, I am the one who's responsible for that. So it makes the most sense that those that log cabin is attributed to me and not other people. Now, I didn't create the wood, I didn't create the atoms, but... You know, we don't live in a perfect universe. 
but so we have to make some generalizations. But it sounds like we agree on that. So that's fine. I just yeah. Want to make sure. Although, right. Um, I think what your what you just spoke of is uh, the labor theory of value, right? Not basically of value, that you of of determining whether somebody ownership. owns something. Yeah. So, uh, like you were saying that um, your labor and you know what your labor mixed with raw materials becomes you know something else that that thing is yours yes is that right it, it you have a higher claim to it than other people so yes it, it would become your property essentially I think um, we need to like add you know one more understanding to that is uh, unless you you know, those raw goods that you got was owned by somebody else. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. And that's just one of those things like, unfortunately, two people can't own something at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's just a fact of life. It, it may not be a mathematically perfect, perfectly consistent principles, yeah. but we're making some, you know, generalizations and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but yeah, I agree with you when it comes to raw things. So that's why when we say homesteading, we're talking about uh, land that has been either unused um, or abandoned and people have different criteria for what's considered abandoned like is it seven years of unused yeah, ten years sure. you know yeah. and that varies um, but uh, that's you know what we're talking about when we say homesteading you're okay. doing something to the land and thus you have a higher state to it so I so agree with you. I, I have a getting back to the original question I want to present my Conclusion and, and hear your thoughts on it, and then and then we can get to the next one. Um, so it, again, it was the idea that well, what if what if everything's taken up and I have nowhere to go? And my my response mm -hmm. to that would be well, a any society, including a communist society, is going to be subject to the scarcity of land. So unfortunately, I can't just walk in a straight line as far as I want because that would go through people's houses, uh, that would go through property, and uh, you have to contend with what other people own. Unfortunately, I mean, I wish I could go absolutely anywhere I want, do absolutely anything I feel like, but uh, in a world with other people, your rights to swing your fists ends where other people's faces begin. So mm -hmm. if this is a criticism of a capitalist society, well, that all land eventually is going to get taken up, well, all land's eventually going to get taken up in a communist society, and I can't just walk into the factory and do whatever the hell I want. Or, yeah, that's a good point. And I know that there are communists who say, well, actually, you can just do literally whatever you want. But to me, that that basically becomes a violation of property because that would mean that you have the right to go around and take advantage of the, um, the fruits of other people's labor, eat food that they've harvested, uh, walk around through their homes, sleep on the bed, you know, go take a shit in the toilet and walk out. That's... Mm -hmm. And that would essentially be taking advantage of other people against their will. Uh, so right. I think they, in that specific scenario, they moved the goalposts because you tried to say that in a commune, all that land would be taken up. And they also argue that there's personal property, as in you can't just uh, go into someone's house and then start building something in, you know, a part of their living room um, because you know, by their own beliefs, they say that personal property should be respected and that if you are a communist and you go away on vacation, your neighbors would watch your home, you know. So they have personal property as in things that should be um, respected. Uh, so they move the goalposts when they say, well, you can actually do whatever you want, which is not true. That is actually counter to what they're wow. saying about personal property. So... Um, Oh, go ahead. Are they go ahead. only applying that to uh, communally owned things, like a community factory? In other words, you can't go in people's houses, but you can right. go into the local worker-owned factory and go screw up their lathe and walk out. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's a good point. So, you know, we can talk about the practicality of it, and I really liked, you know, your counter-argument that um, eventually the land and the commune could, um, could be all taken up. It could be taken up with the warehouse for bread or food or whatever, or, you know, personal properties, various ones. Um, those are things that are off limits. So the same argument could go for that. And you could then return and say to the communists that if you think in a world where everything is private property, then you have to also recognize that in a commune, 
uh, eventually everything will be staked off and have a certain use. And you can't just go to infinity and just continue parsing off pieces of land. Like, for example, go into a warehouse, uh, you know, that's just used for bread and then just stake off a corner of it and say, well, this is for something else. And then just continue. You can't do that infinitely. (laughs) You know, land is scarce. Area is scarce. Eventually, you're going to get to a problem where it's like, okay, well, wait, we got to not, you know, put anything in this bread house for whatever practical reason. We need enough room to get around and access the shelves, you know? Yeah. Um, it gets to a practicality point. Now, so. I, I think I'm anticipating one of their responses would be, well, but uh, the individual has more freedom because they can go into this community and be part of the uh, democratic process and vote, and they'll have a say in how the factory is going to be run. And Now, mind you, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that everyone's going to vote on everything. Like, practically speaking, it's never going to happen. People are always going to have disagreements. Eventually, they're going to come to some sort of expedient uh, council or management group or state uh, who's going to decide, you know, who's going to lay down the law, essentially, and say, we're going to have this vote. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if there's a a minority who disagrees. And I think it would devolve into a state, personally. But I... Mm. I would like to add one more thing to that, and sorry, I'm giving a a lecture here, but um, one thing that I think reduces the overall freedom of the individual is that you are banned from owning private land, Uh, and that's now, I guess that's where you get in the, you can have it one way, you can either have uh, a say as one of the hundreds of millions of people in the democratic process, or you can be the owner of your own land and, and be the ultimate uh, owner. And you won't, you don't need a vote. It's it's all about you. Now, practically mm-hmm. speaking, I think private property is much better. But in any case, I just want right. to make clear mm-hmm. that this problem of scarcity is not inherent to capitalism. That's a, a fact of nature. So I just exactly. wanted to, to get yeah. that off my chest. And mm-hmm. um, it sounds like you and I are in agreement about that point. So. Right, exactly. So I think uh, although we, you know, had other conversations, but in the very beginning of this call, uh, we were trying to answer, you know, is capitalism inherently exploitive? Um, Because the argument by communists is that uh, it is exploitive because you don't have a choice. You must participate in a capitalist society to survive. You must work for somebody or something like that, or you must own your own business and serve oh no, customers, (laughs) like apparently that's forced, but we rebutted that the same can be, that is actually just a nature, a fact of life, of nature. You have to work in order to survive. Um, And as individualists, we think that it is unethical for you to say that some other human being, some other individual should work on your behalf. Um, You know, we're not saying no, we shouldn't have charity. We're just saying that uh, scarcity and working to live and survive is not a tenant of capitalism, as we said earlier. Um, it is just a fact of life. So then you moved on with yet another counter argument by communists, uh, you know, moving the goalposts again, because, you know, not even responding and saying, yeah, you're no, you're right. That is a fact of life. We have to work to survive. They move the goalposts again, and try to still argue that capitalism is exploitative and come up with the weird random scenario that the entire world is completely owned by private individuals and there's literally no... Even going (laughs) into the past, you know, when populations were much, much smaller than they are now, like communist, uh, the Soviet Union, look at how much land they had and how few people they had in comparison. And the, the mm-hmm. argument becomes absolutely, utterly insane. Like, if you don't want my fact, if you don't want to work for me, you have many other options. I mean, right. that, that's exactly. the proof, right? Yeah, and um, I would love to, I don't know if you have somewhere you, you have the topics written down, but I'd love to talk about, you know, the idea of um, communists saying that in a capitalist society, they're forced to work and be a part of it because they're not allowed to... Uh, homestead, unclaimed land, etc. Like, I think that would be a good topic to address um, yeah. later. Go uh, for it. Go for it right now. But, uh, 
Um, well, I do want to finish. So, uh, because they tried to say that capitalism is inherently exploitative, and I want to make sure you know we finish that topic. Um, and they came back and said, well, what if you know all the land in the world is staked off and owned privately? Therefore, at that point, capitalism would be completely um, involuntary. So that's why we were talking about. Well, the same thing could be said in a commune, and you know, I think. I don't know about you, but I think we addressed that pretty clearly that those same problems of practicality and what do we do with land or whatever, um, you know, when it comes to a commune being completely taken up, uh, if you want to do something, how do you then go about doing things if everything's been staked off as either a, you know, communal area owned by everybody or personal property? So I think you'd have the same issue. And if you, uh, you know, in that situation, you could say that you're kind of forced to be there. But um, it's funny because the ideology itself of communism or capitalism in that case is not what's forcing you to participate. You are alive and there are other individuals around you who are also taking up space. Um, so you... I mean, I don't know what else to say besides... You have to respect other you people. You're not to, the only person exactly. in the world. Right. If you want your individual rights to be respected, if you want to be able to, you know, have sustenance for yourself, a shelter to protect you from the weather and the storms, you need to apply that same principle to everyone else. And one of the key things you must recognize is it is a fact of nature that resources are scarce. You know, matter cannot be created nor destroyed, just transferred from different states. And things are scarce. No matter how much communists want to say that we are in a post-scarcity society or we're getting there, there is no, <laughs> you cannot have post-scarcity only, um, you know, increased efficiencies. Post-scarcity only happens if you can, as if, uh, when you can literally create things out of thin air and, you know, no energy is required in it. And that thing that you created didn't take raw goods or resources from something else. You know, so <laughs> that's what I would say in response is, um, you know, the feeling like you're forced into it. If you think that's the case of capitalist society, you're confusing that with just living, with just being alive because <laughs> there's scarcity. There's other individuals and animals competing for these scarce resources. So how do we do so in a way that doesn't violate the principles of voluntarism and self-ownership, that respects other individuals and does not violate their consent? So, yeah. Very well said. Couldn't have said it better <laughs> myself. So, yes, that and what you just I heard. I think that ends the, the first topic. <laughs> I, yeah, I think so. And what, what you just heard was the the very distilled version uh, from from many, many painstaking evenings and days uh, debating with communists and and trying to root <laughs> out and and find some nugget of principle and truth in there so these are things that that we have had to sort of discover for ourselves I've had tried to get communists mm -hmm. on this show by the way and really hear it from the horse's mouth I've asked almost 10 times now and no takers so that's why oh, we're really? here. Huh. yeah yeah same groups you know, people who are so eager to debate, they aren't willing to come onto a show. This is random and just addressing you. I would be curious if um, uh, this guy, he has a channel on YouTube called Libertarian Socialist Rants. Yeah. I don't know if you've asked him, but since he's already a public, you know, in the public, I'd might come on. Yeah. It's a good so idea. So a lot of people reference him. Um, so, yeah, anyway. Sure, sure thing. Fun. Okay. <laughs> now, um... Unless you had something on your mind, I was thinking we could discuss wage labor and how it's accused of being exploitative. There's a lot of overlap in the previous topics, but yeah, that, that okay. was a subject of particular interest to me, is the idea of working for somebody else. Uh, that, that is a huge top point of contention for communists. They believe that all forms of profit inherently require theft, like basically skimming value from the worker. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you think about that topic, or is there anything else uh, on your mind that you'd rather address? Um, I think we can segue into the new topic. Yeah, that sounds good to okay, me. Okay, great. Um, so you want me to give my just first like, general sure. thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, um, so what I've heard um, in terms of profit being exploitative, the argument is that, well, one of them, it's not like there's one argument that I've heard, uh, but one of the main ones I've heard is that um, a capitalist or an owner, uh, and let's use a, you know, a clear example. I liked how you wrote an article about this, um, about, actually it was your, about yourself. Uh, you know, by uh, having your own lawn mowing company and then, you know, hiring people to use your lawn mower, things that you purchased, um, you're the one contacting the customers, you know, setting up those appointments as the owner of the business and then just hiring, you know, teenagers or anyone else to work for you for a wage per hour, um, but using all of your stuff. Um, so that's a good example. We'll go with that. So I've heard that profit is exploitive because if you were to give that worker um, who, let's say he uh, mowed the lawn for two hours, you're paying him $10 an hour, but uh, you're charging the customer uh, $20 an hour. So you made a profit of $20 for those but two yeah, same hours. Principle. Yeah, or I like using tens. It's easier to add. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so they would say that it's exploitative because without the worker, without that teenager or whoever mowing the lawn for those two hours, you wouldn't have made a profit. You wouldn't have even gotten money from the customer. And that's what's exploitative. I, I think if I could refine that, I think what, mm-hmm. I don't know if they even go that far. Like what I've always heard, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's because you're not giving them in the entire $20. And they're the one who did the work and you were just sitting there. I guess we're cool. saying the well, same yeah. thing. Yeah, no, I like that you clarified. I might have, that's much clearer. Um, so they're saying it's exploitative that you're not giving uh, the worker the complete $20 because that value you generated from the customer belongs solely to the labor because they believe in the labor theory of value and that labor is what creates the value, their direct labor in that moment is what creates the value. Um, and my rebuttal to that would be, well, what happens if um, you, you know, what what about all the costs of starting up the business, of marketing, having your own website, calling up the customers, building rapport, all that time you spent, not to mention, you know, however much the lawnmower costs. I think the so lawnmower itself, the capital equipment, is the core of it. All those other right. things are niceties, but the actual equipment. Mm-hmm. Anyways, sorry to interrupt. Oh no, it's okay. We we can focus on that. So the means of production, if you will, the lawnmower itself is what costs uh, the majority of the money. And that if you had not purchased it, that person uh, and organized the business, that person wouldn't even be working for you or even have a job to earn, you know, money. And that's the nice thing of being employed is that you don't have to worry about getting the customers or having all the um, the things that you need. So anyway, my response is, so what about all the costs of the you know lawnmower, of the, uh, the gear? Um, and the response that I've gotten is, well, that's fine. Just, yeah, take profit. That's not really profit. You're just recouping your, your costs. Mm-hmm. But after you recoup your costs... Now you're really just sitting on your ass. So that's when it's exploitative for you to not give that person the full, you know, <laughs> uh, wage. Um, and and in that case, I would respond that if you think that that's exploitative, is it not also exploitative for uh, the uh, capitalist to lose money? Because let's say that um, their expenses and costs for everything per month including paying for an employee um, is more than the uh, revenue that was generated and thus they actually have a loss. Are you not exploiting the capitalists at that point? Are the laborers not exploiting the capitalists when the labor, the laborer still has to get paid whatever they were promised by the capitalist, you know, per hour, you know, they uh, walk away even though the capitalist suffered a loss. Does that make sense? So I would come back and say, if you think that it's exploitative for the um, capitalist to make a profit, then you should also think it's exploitative of the laborer to walk away when the capitalist has made a lot less and has actually suffered losses and expenses. 
Does oh, that yeah. make sense? Absolutely, yeah. It's yeah. it's always a one-sided, this right. eternal victim mentality that... Exactly. You yeah. have to go both ways. <laughs> yeah, and... You can't just see it one way. And, so. uh, yeah, it's always that, that workers are absolutely helpless. Never mind the fact that workers... Uh, I was debating a guy this morning who's... I mm-hmm. absolutely can't stand this guy. And he... The, <laughs> <laughs> You're like so frustrated. It's okay. I am. It's it's I, I get trying to get too. through. Yeah. But he <laughs> said that that there's a huge power disparity because uh, the worker has to obey the employer. Uh, but never mind the fact that the employer has to obey the worker too, in the sense that they came up with terms of employment. And if the employee, uh, excuse me, the employer just uh, drops the wage to $1 per hour and starts treating them like crap and doesn't, uh, basically has an awful working environment and experience, the worker's going to leave. So that's, I mean, you don't even have to go that deep. All you have to understand is that there's two parties. Both of them can walk away from the situation, so it's completely voluntary. Neither one has power over the other. The nature of all trades, uh, wage labor is just a form of trade, trading labor for money. So... They they always have this underdog obsession, but they don't care when the business goes down. In fact, they celebrate that. But right. there was exactly. one other point you made: um, mm-hmm. paying off, once you pay off the lawnmower. So that would be a truly raw deal for the capitalist because they had to front money to buy this equipment. Then they eventually they paid it off, which was basically a waste of time for them because they could have just spent their money on something else instead of having to finance this operation and then get nothing for it, literally nothing. If you're just paying yourself back for the equipment, then you would have been better off sitting at home having fun or uh, you know, buying something five months ahead at the same time you bought the lawnmower or go buy some video games. So this profit is just a payment for the value-added service of the capitalist who's going out pay, uh, fronting the money, the capital which the worker did not have to begin with. So that's mm-hmm. the whole time right. preference. Uh, there, it, providing money is a service because you had to build up that money yourself, go out and do right. work, save it, and then go buy equipment and make it available for someone else to use and make money from. So if you're just right. paying off equipment, then, like you said, the workers are exploiting you. Right, exactly. And um, I would say that it's funny that they see it see running a business and providing value to customers and you know providing a good and or service they see it as so black and white they don't even i'd be really curious and somebody asked in the debate group once like uh are you an ancom or ancap and what do you do for a living and a lot of the ancoms like the majority of them responded and said that was my topic (laughs) yeah oh okay that was a good question yeah i'm curious uh a lot of the responses were, I'm just a fucking wage slave at McDonald's. I'm a wage slave at Pizza Hut. Or, I hate my life. I'm a cook. Like, yeah. like okay, you know, so they just see it as very black and white. They, a very few of them had their own big business where they're employing a lot of people. Um, and they don't see that. Uh, running a business is more than just creating a product. It's storing the product because what happens when the demand goes down and someone's not buying it? How do you maintain supply and work with demand? You know, you need someone to think of that. That is labor. <laughs> um, they only see labor in a business as the person doing the work and manning the factory. Well, what about the person who built the machine? What about the person who traded and uh, acquired their own capital to even be able to trade to create the machine or to build the factory or whatever? And also, what about um, the labor it takes to uh, provide customer service? What happens if the product is shitty or the service is shitty and the customer is disappointed? Somebody is going to handle you know, that work, and that is labor, that is someone's time. It may not be creating the physical thing with the, you know, with the machine. It's still labor. And yet another thing is that they think that just by creating a product, that's valuable, and everyone should buy Yeah, that's buy the it. labor theory of value that I worked on. Right. So therefore, but, it has value. Exactly. But value is subjective. You're, you could produce 
And, you know, we see this all the time with companies creating products and no one buys it. A communist would be like, I, I created 10 products. I, I spent so much time, but no one wants to buy? What the heck? Like, this is ridiculous. You should all give me, mm, I'm going to subjectively determine $20 for this and $30 for my artwork. A lot of them are artists too, I noticed. Um, you know, you should all value this, but it's like, you see that it's subjective. Did you, you know? Have you seen the um, the meme with <laughs> Karl Marx and the woman? And, and he's like, what do you mean you didn't like it? It took me all night. All right. And, <laughs> right. and he has his shirt off, and she looks really disappointed. Like, you know, it wasn't that great. I know it was really hard for you, but. Exactly, right. Yeah, but, um, you know, they literally just see that. And they don't see that value of a product, uh, at least, you know, anyone who is conscious as a consumer knows that a value of the product is also good customer service. That's a huge part of buying a good or a service is most people tend to uh, use a product if they know that um, like between competitors, they'll choose the one with the best customer service because mm -hmm. they'll know if something goes wrong, the company is responsive and will take care of them. That's labor. And uh, as the you know employer or the owner, you have to decide how many customer service reps to hire. Uh, if you need to purchase a service desk program to handle and intake all their requests, um, data scientists to see what the issues are, you know, and this these costs just grow exponentially as uh, the products you create become more diverse and more in mass. So if you use a company like Google or Microsoft or Apple, <laughs> they have they invest thousands or not thousands, like millions, <laughs> yeah, billions. millions, billions of dollars into research and development. And that's a whole nother department filled with data scientists, project managers, program managers, um, so many people <laughs> that the uh, communists, the laborer, you know, just building the I don't know. Uh, Slapping it together. Apple MacBook. Yeah. yeah, the Apple MacBook. They're like, I should get $800 <laughs> for <laughs> this MacBook, even though MacBooks are like, what, $1,200? Um, <laughs> okay, like $1,200 for this MacBook. But you're only paying me $5 an hour. What the hell? Without me, you wouldn't get <laughs> Apple customers. Right. You know how absurd that is when you actually get uh, into really how a company works and how um, an organization or a business continues innovating, investing in research and development to stay competitive, to stay and provide value because there's just so much to it that uh, is not seen. And that's why I said it seems that a lot of communists, socialists, you know, people on the left have a very black and white um elementary and that's an insult to children um very you know uneducated it's a reductionist uh, view ignorant yeah oh what's that sorry i should look that up <laughs> yeah reductionist, <laughs> that, that just means they they well actually reduction reductionist means you are whittling it down so far that you are losing important resolution on oh, okay understanding yeah, the situation, but even then, I, they aren't even comprehending those extra variables that you just described. So it's not even to call it reductionist would be accusing someone of intellectual dishonesty, but they uh, right they, they don't even understand yeah, right. they most, of them. Yeah, most of them. they see a snapshot. In Although time. I haven't yet met one that really understands that. <laughs> you know all well, those and, factors, and the so. ones who maybe do, I suspect there's a huge amount of intellectual dishonesty or hatred or bias uh, a lot of hatred for sure and anger within that community and kind of the whole uh, victim obsession you know nothing's my fault and like you said mm -hmm. that's why you get yeah. a lot of losers basically I and by the way none of the this is these are not arguments these are just observations and maybe explanations as right. to why communists are all uh, losers and you know I'm sorry to say I think that's going to infuriate well, them if they're I'm watching sorry. the video. I, as a philosopher, I'm like, not all. That's true. <laughs> I not, have to be like, very, like, <laughs> No, you're, you're, right, you're right. And there are some uh, some intelligent <laughs> and honest ones out there, but they... Based on our own experience. As a trend. And a, right, as a trend. Yeah. Right, right, right. 
Anyways. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing, is they see profit exploitative, but as you said earlier, um, that laborer wouldn't even have the opportunity to make money right now, guaranteed paycheck, you know, no matter what happens with the company. Yeah, so, uh, no matter how many customers come that day or that week, they're guaranteed. And they don't see a value in that. They just completely ignore that value that is actually being provided that for them from the capitalist. That's why you would voluntarily agree to work for someone um, is you see a value. You see that, okay, I can, you know, do computer work for you or whatever because you're giving me the value of a stable paycheck and income and you're taking care of everything else with the customers or, you know, staying innovative and I just get to do this task that you, you need done or whatever. So that's what I would respond with if they say profit is exploitative. Um, that one, it is completely voluntary. And two, it's not um, exploitation because the person who owns the business, they're also giving you value. Um, and if you didn't see value, because value is subjective, you just want to work for them. It's completely voluntary. So. Yeah, so in conclusion, uh, they're, one, providing access to capital, which takes money ahead of time, as you aptly pointed out. And they're also providing, general, most of the time, a slew of other services because it, it's kind of convenient with the business model. They shield you from risk. You get a guaranteed mm -hmm. paycheck. Uh, you have essentially zero responsibility other than yeah. your day-to-day -day tasks. And uh, right. so, yeah. and of course, the litmus test is if a capitalist is truly a lazy uh, exploiter, someone who's skimming value off the top, just a literally a pointless middleman, then people would very, very quickly find a way around them because they could, that would imply that the capitalist is doing nothing other than extracting value. And in yes, that case, very good point. people could, would simply say, hey, uh, let's ditch this guy. I'll cut your grass tomorrow and I'll charge you, uh, you know, a little bit less and I'm going to keep all the money and screw the capitalist. But exactly. of course, uh, that generally doesn't happen because capitalists are doing, as you mentioned, all sorts of work in the yep. background. So mm -hmm. Exactly. Great. great. It's, not, uh, it's hard to get customers. Sales is its own uh, specialty that people get paid lots of money for to generate, to get customers for people. And, you know, as someone starting your own business from scratch, you wear all the hats. You're the project yeah, manager. You it. are the uh, marketer. Now. Yeah, you are the salesperson. You literally do everything. Um, it's only when you, you know, get more capital that uh, individual people who are entrepreneurs uh, begin to be able to, um, uh, divide labor, uh, like I don't know how to say Specialization. it. Specialization. Specialization, like hire and um, like separate duties, you know, knowing that I'm going to hire someone who's very good at sales, way better than me to continue mm -hmm. growing things, for example, and therefore providing jobs. Um, but you bring up a very good point that if you really had a situation, and we're not saying this is impossible that someone could literally provide no value, although I can't it's think possible. Of it. It just, yeah. It's possible. It's not inherent. Yeah, people who are working for them would know, okay, there's literally no <laughs> value this person is providing. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and keep working for this person until they give me enough money to then start my own business and buy my own lawnmower, for example, um, and then I'm going to talk to those those um those customers that I used to work for and say, hey, I'll work for you. I'll charge you a little less. And people do that all the so time. They do. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I've heard lots of people who were in the corporate world. They accumulated a lot of capital by providing value to their employer, and then they use that accumulated capital, and that's the beauty of capitalism. And that's <laughs> and how moved on if, if exploitation is occurring – then you have the natural mechanism, the equilibrium-seeking nature of the free market that, like you said, it's not impossible, but it's unstable. It's not like monopolies are unstable for the same reason because free market naturally, you know, competitors are going to swoop in and, you know, outcompete them. And also individuals' uh, subjective tastes and values of things changes 
technology changes and lifestyles change. So that's why um, it's such a big importance of successful companies to learn about their customers and the market and what the demands are. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> well, we have, I think, time for one more bonus topic. And uh, <laughs> this was your idea, so why don't you dive right in? Okay. Do you remember what it is? It says... No, uh, I had a few. <laughs> okay. Well, one of your... Um, you asked if we could speak about how most ANCAPs advocate for solutions that minimize violence and maximize peace in terms of ending the state and getting to a free society. Uh, but if you have something else you'd rather talk about, uh, it's all yours. Okay. Um, by the way, I didn't know that it's almost been an hour. This has been a good conversation. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so I think that is like a subset of what one of the main big conclusions I think we should end the call with like what are the at least uh, what is my big conclusion um, about the difference between anarcho-communism and anarcho-capitalism and when we say anarcho-communism or capitalism we're talking about uh, an absence of the state Um, and you know different capitalists have different beliefs that a commune would eventually though though formed voluntarily would eventually turn into a state you know that's another debate but um, you know just for argument's sake uh, there are anarcho-communists who are uh, who claim to be voluntarists and individualists um, which is funny right Uh, but um, they say that they would respect somebody who didn't want to be a part of their commune, who didn't want to have those certain rules of property acquisition and a distinction between private and uh, personal property. Um, So my main conclusion is that um, the biggest thing that anarcho-communists and anarcho-capitalists should focus on, if you are truly a individualist and voluntarist at the core, meaning you believe that the needs of the individual should not be trampled on by some, you know, vague concept of a collective or another group of people. If you believe that all human interaction should be voluntary, then the ending of the state, which is an institution built on the monopoly of violence and initiating force on people and violating individual rights just by its nature, um, that should be your number one goal. And I've had some anarcho-communists agree with me and say, yes, let's work together to end the state because that is the aggressor, that is the initiators of wars, that is the institution that has the incentive to continue to cause chaos amongst humanity. Um, That's what we want to end. But I've also seen other anarcho-communists, and probably more uh, than I've seen the former, are anarcho-communists, leftists, and Antifa, anti-fascists, um, say that they want to end capitalism first. They that if they had to choose between ending the state or capitalism, they oh, would choose hell yeah, ending they... capitalism. Exactly, and that's the issue I have because capitalism, just like communism, can be completely 100% voluntarily agreed upon. Uh, by each of the individuals involved. It can be. And when we say anarchy, we're talking about without mandatory rulers. Um, And that's the distinction there between state or uh, state capitalism or state communism is there isn't an institution saying you have to you know, abide by our rules, although I would argue that even state capitalism compared to state communism um, even in state capitalism, you could have communes because you, could, yeah. you can acquire, you know, unclaimed land or whatever. So um, basically, in conclusion is, and I posted this in the group the other day, is I have absolutely no problem with someone believing, uh, in, in my view, absurdly that <laughs> uh, working for someone else, even though you voluntary, voluntarily freaking agree to it, is somehow exploitative. Um, I don't care. If you think that that's fine, don't work for somebody. No one's forcing you to work for them, not even in a, you know, not in a capitalist society. You don't have to work for somebody. 
you can do your own thing. So I have zero problem with someone who is an anarcho-communist so long as they are a voluntarist at the core, so long as they would extend that same courtesy to someone else who says, you know what, I don't want to be a part of your commune. I want to keep this. I acquired it through unclaimed land, and I you know, voluntarily traded my capital for a machine, and I want to hire people. You can't come in and take it because I didn't acquire this property through any violent or just means. You can't come in and thus take it violently. Um, if an anarcho-communist respects that and believes that too, then I have no problem. Then when it comes to debating between uh, anarcho-communists and anarcho-capitalists what's moral or not, um, there really is none. It comes down to subjectivity. The only time where the issues begins is when an anarcho-communist or whatever, someone on the left, says, we need to seize the means of production from the capitalists and t overtake all of it and turn the entire world into, or the entire U.S. government into a commune. That would be initiating force against unwilling participants. And that's when the issue begins. And that's when <laughs> the guns or the knives come out for self-defense. <laughs> Because it's like, hey, look, we don't want to be part of this. So um, that's kind of the main conclusion that I've drawn. Um, and anyone who thinks that uh, they'd rather end capitalism over ending the state first uh, is my enemy and someone that needs to be educated quickly. And if they refuse to, you know, understand that capitalism is not exploitative, then we have a problem. I'm sorry, too bad. Uh, because you are a danger. And I think those specific types of collectivist communists who see capitalism as exploitative and don't understand that it can also be voluntary, just like communism can be, are the ones that, when ANCAPs make funny memes about them, are the ones that we're talking about <laughs> and have the issue with. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and, you know, as much as... I used to think there could be an alliance, but like you said, because they they hate capitalism a lot more than they hate the state, I believe, that I don't think it's will ever come to an alliance because they simply don't uh, respect legitimate property or wage labor. And so as much as we would be happy to tolerate people doing whatever the hell they want, living mm -hmm. in a commune, they simply cannot tolerate or they won't tolerate people having factories and wage labor and private land. So, you know, mm -hmm. that's, but, you know, that that's why yeah. uh, I'm glad we have a lot of guns. How about that? Right. Um, I just want to respond uh, to that because um, that was another big conclusion, too, um, is, uh, fuck, I just forgot. But I, I just had it. <laughs> Oh, you forgot? Um, Uh-oh. Wait, wait. Like, <laughs> It'll come so to you. you just said that... They can't... They won't respect... You can, oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Thanks. <laughs> You're like, you thought about forming a lines. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I agree. So to echo kind of what you're saying and uh, reward it in my own words, um, I've noticed that with most ANCOMs that I've spoken with, they believe that capitalism is inherently just immoral. Um, and that everything when it comes to means of production should be shared, and if it's not, it is immoral and exploitative. Um, and that is the, uh, that difference of um, anarcho-communists seeing capitalism, even, you know, full voluntary capitalism, well, that's kind of silly because by its nature, capitalism is voluntary. Um, they see it as immoral. So they have a moral stance against capitalism. Whereas capitalists, looking at anarcho-communism, we understand, at least I do, and many other ANCAPs see that it can be voluntary. We just take issue with it economically, that we don't think it's economically viable because how are you going to allocate and um, uh, divide scarce resources most efficiently, you know, without a price system? Um, we don't have a moral issue with it. So that's where I think the that core difference between the two ideologies um, is the reason why a lot of ANCAPs say that communes could exist in an anarcho-capitalist society, but the same could not be said for a communist society, that an anarcho-capitalist society could not 
be and survive within a commune because of that moral difference in view. Because the communists would say, hey, you're exploiting people, you're uh, keeping all of this capital to the exclusion of others, that's evil, and therefore it justifies theft. And that's why I understand now, because I didn't before, um, why a lot of anarchy hapless say that. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not backwards compatible. It's like old and new technology. Like, yeah, yeah, come into Ancapistan, you'll be fine, we'll leave you alone. But uh, if you try to bring those advanced ideas into the backwater of communist thought, they'll kill you. So, anyway, Because of the moral view, exactly. Right. And, and that's the and issue. Probably a good helping of just hateful bigotry uh, and ignorance on their own. I, I don't think it's all moral. I think it's a lot of resentment and hatred, but that's the story for another time. So I think, you know, being at an hour and five minutes, that's enough for now. Uh, this That sort of wraps up our experience we've had over months. And I, I do encourage you to join these groups and sort of spectate, put your own topics. It can be fun. It can also be incredibly frustrating, but a great learning experience. With the sophistry and the ad homes. Oh, uh, yeah. Moving it's, the goalposts, exactly. It's a great <laughs> exercise in debate, I'll tell you that. Because it, it forces you to, <laughs> to pinpoint and stay on the straight and narrow, and yes. it's, it's a good exercise. So thank you exactly. so very much for joining us, the philosopher. If you uh, <laughs> haven't you, found David. her page yet, you are living under a rock. So tell our listeners where they can find you. <laughs> Okay, it is at uh, Facebook.com or Twitter. Just search for the, T-H-E, Philosopher. That's Philosopher, but with an O, like pho noodle soup, Vietnamese noodle soup. Um, and I'm also on Steemit and YouTube, so you can find me in all those four social media outlets. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, thanks, everybody. You heard it here first. Flagship Freedom and the Philosopher representing anarcho-capitalism. So until next time, we'll see you all later. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye. Cheers.